0: Hello friend and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, and design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week I bring you a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. This is the only CBD company I have come to really trust with my wellness. They have zero THC, meaning you can't get high from their products. They're organically farmed and they're gluten-free. I love sleep and when I don't get it, I feel like my entire day, my entire week, my entire life is thrown off. And during these times of stress, I started taking Soul CBD's Sleepy Gummy before bed and I swear by them. Most nights, all I need is a half of a gummy and these little babes have put my sleepless nights behind me with one delicious fruity bite. Their unique blend of CBD, CBN and terpenes helps you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer and improve your overall quality of sleep. I always wake up refreshed. It's my new bedtime Time besties. So our friends over at Soul cbd i contacted them and I got a discount code for 15% off your order. Just head on over to AshleyStahl.com slash soul. That's A-S-H L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash S-O-U-L to access our special page with them. And don't forget to use the code U-Turn at checkout. That's Y-O-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-U-N-U-U-N-U-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N-U-N- T U R N. Now let's get into this week's episode. Hello, my U-turn friends. This is Ashley Stahl here. And this week I wanted to spotlight a very special podcast with my friend, who is Mark Divine. He's the host of the Mark Divine Show. And his show is just so awesome because Mark goes so deep beyond the surface of someone's success and really peels back what today's most inspirational, self-aware, and exponential leaders do and think to behave so differently. And Mark is particularly magical because his background as a Navy SEAL shines through in how he shows up in his interviews and really in everything he does. He's full of integrity and strength and purpose. And not only that, but as a podcast host, Mark Ask these questions that lead you to really get to the heart of your own desires, your own truths. And so, I asked Mark to provide one of his favorite episodes of the Mark Divine Show, so that you could learn about his magic. Go ahead and check this one out.
1: Hi, I'm Mark Divine. This is the Mark Divine Show, where we discover, dive in, discuss what makes the world's most inspirational, compassionate, and resilient leaders so courageous and fearless. Here, we go in-depth with people from all walks of life. Martial arts grandmasters, meditative monks, CEOs, military leaders, stoic philosophers, proud survivors, and more. Every episode turns our guest experience into actionable insights that you can learn from, you can follow, and use to lead a life filled with compassion and courage. Today, we're going to be talking about motivation, habituation, and goal achievement. Specifically, how to motivate and influence oneself to achieve what you want in life, we all know that setting and achieving goals is harder than it seems. And our guest today, Dr. Elliot Fishbach, presents a theoretical framework for self-motivated action. She explains how to identify the right goals, attack the middle problem, battle your temptations, and use the help of others around you to achieve your goals. Dr. Fishbach is the Jeffrey Breckenridge Keller Professor of Behavioral Science. That's a mouthful, at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and she's the author of a new book released January 4th titled Get It Done. Her research is regularly featured in the media, including the Wall Street Journal, CNN, Chicago Tribune, NPR, and she was selected to be featured in the New York Times' annual year on ideas. Dr. Fishback has received several international awards, including the Society of Experimental Social Psychology's Best Dissertation Award and Career Trajectory Award, and the Fulbright Educational Foundation Award. And in 2006, she received the Provost Teaching Award from the University of Chicago. Our focus today is on the surprising lessons from the science of motivation, how to apply those lessons to motivate yourself. Here's Dr. Fischbach. So how would you characterize your specialization? Behavioral science?
2: Yes, I would say behavioral science. Uh, it depends on how uh, specific you want to be. The general category is behavioral science. Within that, I am a psychologist. Within that, I am a social psychologist. And if you uh, want to be quite specific, then I am a motivation scientist.
1: Yeah, okay. So behavioral science is looking at people's actions, behaviors, and then try to trace to the field of psychology what's behind those actions, behaviors. And then you want to look at the motivation, which is behind the psychology, which is behind the actions, behaviors, something like that, right?
2: (laughs) Yes. I'm, I'm trying to understand how to motivate people and how people motivate themselves.
1: Wow. Have you figured it out? Because I'm pretty curious.
2: I figure out some things. There's still uh, a lot of things to learn, but you know, I figured out some. So happy to tell you.
1: Yeah. Well, before we get into the kind of meat and potatoes of your behavioral work, I'd love to learn a little bit more about yourself. Like, what were your motivations for getting into the field of psychology? Where were you from? What was your background? What were your influences? What were your parents like? Help us understand.
2: Oh gosh. That's many questions. I know.
1: It all wrapped into kind of like a life story. Give, me a, give us a short life story.
2: So I grew up in uh, Israel. I grew up in a very uh, small community at uh, what is called the uh, kibbutz, a small uh, socialist community where uh, everybody was working together where uh, the pay was equal. We actually didn't have money. No, we didn't use money as I was growing wow. up. So uh, Was it a
1: commune?
2: Yes, it was what you would call a commune.
1: Yeah, I remember reading about those when I was younger. I thought it was fascinating.
2: <laughs> yeah, so this is where I grew up. And uh, then I uh, went to the army like any other Israeli, my generation. <laughs> right. Then I uh, left my small community and went to study at uh, Tel Aviv University psychology just sounded interesting. I had no idea what it meant. I had no idea that you can make a career doing research in psychology, but you get your BA and then uh, you figure out that you can get a master's degree. and then,
1: uh... <laughs> Right. And suddenly you're in a doctorate.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then suddenly you realize, oh, that could be a job. Interesting. So it really uh, was kind of incidental. It's kind of life took me wherever life you know, takes you.
1: Now that you've had plenty of time to reflect on this, how do you think growing up in a commune shaped the way you view the world today? I mean, you said basically everyone was equal. There was no meritocracy. There was no money. How did that shape your mind? And what kind of beliefs did it lead to? And what was the behavioral psychology of, of yes. Dr. Fishbach from the commune experience?
2: I, I grew up in a place where everybody started in an equal position. And then my field of study is that the study of how the situation shapes you, how uh, the opportunities that you are getting in life, the doors that open uh, for you, the people that are around you really allow you to do uh, things and allow you to grow and thrive. And so I was part of an experiment in let's uh, give everybody the same opportunity. It's never really the same, but at least thriving toward it, trying to let everybody do what they can do, everybody grow into the person that they can be, definitely inspired me to try out things, to see what I can do that I do well. And it turned out that I think I'm a pretty decent researcher.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. I think a lot of people have misperceptions that what you would call a socialistic micro society could promote expansion of human potential. Most people in the West think it's really kind of the opposite. Like control and suppression of human potential. I mean, where's the motivation come in if there's no striving for, I guess it's all internal motivation.
2: So, you know, our perception of communism on the West is really uh, something that kills the motivation because no matter how hard you work, by the end of the day, everybody uh, is equal and you don't control your lives. That was not my experience. There was a lot of things that you could do to decide on your life, to decide on what your passion is, uh, what you want to do. And also, as I grew up, by age 18, I left. It was really up to me to uh, find a job, to, you know, to pay my college tuition, mm-hmm. to do things in my life. So there was a lot of learning from an early age that everybody can do whatever they want, which is probably much exaggerated version of what actually happens in life, but at least uh, (laughs) this is what I've been taught, okay? Right. (laughs) Being out there in the world with, you know, one mind, two hands, two legs, and you kind of do the work and find what you do well.
1: So when it comes to, let's kind of dive into motivation. What is the root of motivation? Like, how would you characterize the concept of motivation to begin with?
2: Good question. So motivation is really a force, okay? Motivation is What gets you going, it starts usually with some destination somewhere that you want to go, okay? You want to uh, uh, save money, you want to have a career, you want to uh, be in a better health or or whatever. And you need motivation in order to get yourself there, okay? To define the destination is the the force that gets you going. And so it's really a very basic human function.
1: Mm -hmm. How does motivation relate to willpower?
2: It's very similar. Mm. Willpower is motivation in the sense that it's often what what we need in order to do anything. We often use the words, the concept of willpower to describe overcoming some obstacles. So Mm -hmm. in the context of self-control, there is some temptation, there is some barrier, there is any sort of obstacle that in order to overcome it, you need willpower so
1: what you just brought up to me is like we use willpower to overcome a negative motivation right whereas motivation itself is used to achieve or, or to fuel up a um, positive goal or an aspirational goal
2: exactly i was about to give the example that if you are trying to learn how to play basketball you have the motivation to get the ball in the basket okay you are not tempted to get the ball anywhere else Okay, you want it mm-hmm. to get it in the basket where you need willpower is when you are tired or you you just got negative feedback, and you need to get yourself to do it despite something in you that says, maybe I should give up.
1: Mm-hmm. Does motivation come from the head or from the heart?
2: Unfortunately, yeah. this is a myth that anything comes from the heart, right? Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> it's all
2: in our mind, but I think that you were referring metaphorically whether it's about cognition.
1: I was actually referring more from the perspective of heart-mind, You know, the neurological processing capacity that the heart has. The heart is really the realm of courage, right? And so for something that's aligned with your life purpose or aligned with your heart is going to come from that, you know, the heart's neurological energy, the heart mind.
2: I would say, I think the way we meet on this is that motivation is a function of how you think about things and how you feel right. things. So your feelings, your emotions are very yeah. critical for what you can do.
1: As a trained psychologist, an academic psychologist, does the field allow for the concept of whole mind, of mind extending beyond the brain, the brain in our head? Because then that defines a lot or helps explain a lot of what you just said, that feelings are associated with motivation. Empathy can be associated with motivation. Those, those things aren't necessarily associated with the brain. They're associated with the extended mind, which is inclusive of heart and biome and even your whole enteric nervous system.
2: It's a good question. We often, when we think about the location of psychological uh, Functions mm-hmm. We think about the mind, and there is a whole field of neuroscience that right. tries to identify where things are in the mind. I don't really study the localization of these uh, functions. When you say that the entire body, well, like the way our mind interacts with the rest of our bodily parts, that's a pretty new field of research uh, that right. I can't say much about. I Can barely tell you about where things are located in the brain, because first, we don't know a lot. And second, I mainly care about how people think, feel, and how they behave. But then uh, when you ask about new findings about the the relations between our mind and other bodily parts, fascinating.
1: One of the things you mentioned earlier is how much our spaces affect our thinking, how much the people that we're involved with or that we allow into our lives affect our thinking, our cognition even how we learn to move in the world. And so I'm a lifetime martial artist, yogi, you could call me an extreme athlete. And I know through my experience that that has really shaped how I think, not just through the neuroplasticity effect of, you know, moving and how that affects the brain, but literally the proprioception, the interoception, the four-dimensional ability for me to move and maintain body awareness changes my mind. It gives me way more access to different ways of thinking. And I think this idea of extended mind is a really fascinating field for me. And I'm curious if that has touched behavioral science in your field at all. Are you looking into that or how does that intersect for you?
2: So I believe what is special about your experience, Mark, is your awareness to it, other than actually being a subject to the world around you. Like we all are. The result of the world around us, our experiences, including the people that are around us, is what makes us, is what affects our motivation. In order to influence our motivation, what I recommend is to influence your environment, like put Mm -hmm. yourself in the situations that motivate you. Mm -hmm. Now, what many people are missing is awareness of this case, being Mm -hmm. able to point out, like, this is the thing that made me who I am or that made me motivated to do something or that resulted in like this awareness of something that I do. And and this is where I'm, yeah, I'm hoping to get people.
1: Yeah, well, that's for mindfulness meditation that tends to provide great value, right? Because, you know, basically it's a practice of developing awareness and maintaining awareness of what's affecting your mind and how your mind is organizing its thoughts and, and whatnot. I want to get into your book and talk about motivation more, but I'm curious is how is research into meditation affecting cognitive behavioral therapy and and behavioral sciences?
2: There is some research on uh, meditation. I often think about it as complementing the work that we do. We are trying to uh, work or or trying to identify much simpler, easier, big-scale interventions. And what I mean by that is that one way to change yourself is to really get into any kind of you know, meditation or therapy or uh, get into a journey of fully understand yourself and investing some years of your life, maybe your entire life, in this journey of understanding who I am and why I do the things that I do and how do I change it. Right. What behavioral science is often curious about is all these like small things that we can do that if you do this, it might change what you do in, you know, the next month. And then you need to think about other interventions. And and you can really get many people to change their behavior using these much quicker strategies that don't require you to dedicate your life to Mm self-awareness and change. And so there must be some, you know, desired synergy between here are all the solutions, all the things that I can incorporate in my life and I can get an immediate effect. And then I need to use more things and I constantly need to Mm -hmm. be aware of what can be changed. And then there is what you described, which is I'm going to take the journey into really understand myself. Mm -hmm. It's something that is going to take many years.
1: Yeah. Well, I could see see how they work hand in glove because, you know, behaviorally, let's say you're dealing with someone who's overweight or, you know, has an eating disorder. Well, we can begin to work on those behaviors, and we can even make them a little bit more effective behaviors. It's going to take a lot of introspection to get to the root of why that disorder exists to begin with, which is the work of meditation, contemplation, depth therapy. So I can see how they would work hand in glove in that regard. And I imagine that would accelerate the process or maybe make the behavioral work stick a little bit better.
2: Absolutely. I I like this example. You can... uh dive into the long journey of understanding your relationship with food and why right. it might be a unhealthy relationship, right? right. I would suggest strategies such as uh, don't uh, set your goal as lose weight. Okay, It's just mm-hmm. not a great goal. It's a goal that most people fail to pursue. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you adopt more of a do goal, and an approach goal of eating healthily, of engaging in healthier habits, you have a better chance.
1: It's interesting. Do you think that's because of it's a positive goal versus a negative goal? Or again, looking at it like I'm going to create something new as opposed to get rid of something bad?
2: Yes. Getting rid of the bad things. These avoidance calls, they elicit a sense of urgency. Right. So when you think, oh, I should not do something, you feel that you should not do it starting now. Right. But they don't last long. Interesting. You know, many people plan to stop smoking. You understand that you need to start it immediately, but it's a really a hard goal to pursue, because every time when you remind yourself that you should not smoke, that brings to mind a cigarette. Mm-hmm. That's just a goal that keeps bringing to mind the things that you should not do. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have set your goal as pursuing some healthy habit. That's easy, okay? If you set your goal, uh, I'm trying to think what people come up with as a substitute for holding a cigarette. For many people, this is like drinking more water or like doing something else that is like fidgety with their hands. You can set this, and this is just easier to do because when you remind yourself of the thing, you don't remember what you should not do. You remember what you should do. Mm -hmm. That's easier.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. The more your mind kind of dwells upon something, it's going to bring or attract it. It's going to draw you closer to that because you're reinforcing energetically that thing. Right? So if you focus on the negative, you're going to probably have trouble getting rid of the negative because you just keep thinking about it. Like you said, you're adding energy to it.
2: The best example is uh, when people uh, try to start a new relationship. Mm-hmm. When your goal is to stop thinking about your ex, that's a terrible goal because every time you, how do I not think about my ex? The only way is by thinking about what I should not be thinking.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. So your book title is Get It Done. And so I think one of the challenges that I'm like right now, I I get it. It's like, okay, if I want something, then I want to know how to get it done. But what if I don't really know what I want? So do you go into helping people understand what it is they really want as part of getting it done so they don't choose the wrong goals or frame the goal the wrong way like we're talking about?
2: Yeah. So the problem with uh, motivation is it can lead you astray, right? Right. And many people uh, decide to uh, pursue the things that are not good for them. It could be a bad relationship. It could be a an exercise that is not good for you which was resulting in sports injury uh, mm-hmm. you know most addictions or at least many addictions start with teenagers are trying to get themselves to uh, be more cool or more something by drinking or by smoking mm-hmm. or whatever uh, uh, people do in order to prove to the world that they are the person that they believe is a subject for admiration so yeah many healthy the girls are bad and the first part in motivating yourself is analyzing your goals and so in my framework there are four steps there are four issues that you need to tackle the first is identifying a goal it should be a goal that is good for you not too abstract but also not too specific Mm -hmm. ideally it's a goal that is enticing that is not a means okay it's the thing that you want to achieve it's Getting to the top of the mountain other than training in order to uh, get there, it's a goal that is challenging, that is uh, not too uh, easy, but also not too hard so that you will give up. And if you don't define the right goal, okay, let, let me uh, refer to my last element, like if it's too hard, then it's a bad goal because you will give up and mm-hmm. develop a perception for yourself someone who cannot do it. That can't be good.
1: Yeah, this is a really important topic. There's a model that I use to help our clients define a target or a goal. I call it the FITS. Does it fit in this acronym? So the F is, does it really fit my personality? Like There are clients oftentimes who just, they choose goals that are unrealistic. So does it fit? The other is, how important is it to you? And I think you alluded to that. Like It's got to be really important because you can't chase more than a couple things at a time, probably. And I want to come back to that. And then the third one is this is critical? is, is the timing right? Because sometimes the goal you know has, has passed me by, like in the case of my astronaut example, or maybe I'm too early in the case of an entrepreneur who's leveraging some new technology which isn't quite ready yet and then the last one is unique. Is it simple enough that you can really, really wrap your head around it and also you know encourage it, people to support you sometimes people veer toward complexity and they, they make their goals too complicated. Where does timing and simplicity fit into the goal process, you know, from your perspective?
2: Yes. and Now, I mentioned that the first element is how you choose the goal and don't make it too challenging because you right. will be discouraged or like a bad fit. The second element is monitoring progress and learning from negative feedback and knowing where you stand. So setting a goal that you cannot really tell me how are you doing on this goal, that's not going to work. You need to be able to say this is how much I've done.
1: You've got to be able to measure it, you mean? or
2: Measure it evaluate like it doesn't need to be a particular way of measuring it, but you need to maybe your emotions tell you whether you're doing well or, or not. Mm-hmm. There need to be mm-hmm. some feedback. Okay. It could be mm-hmm. a number, it could be the way you feel about the thing. But you raise the the mm-hmm. third element, which is what about everything else? And I think that many times when you talk to people about their goals, what you find out is that it just doesn't fit with everything else that I said mm-hmm. for myself. Okay. So you mm-hmm. can't decide to um save much more money and also uh, buy a car okay or you know lose weight and also uh, start a baking class <laughs> right? like if you decide to start a family where like something will have to give okay like somehow you need to have healthy relationships with your goals so that they don't contradict each other because it's easy to get into the spiral of doing things that don't fit with each other okay that i keep undoing mm-hmm. What I did with the next thing that I'm going to do, and I think that this is what you refer to, is this the right time in my life, means right. are everything else that is on my plate, are those things fit with the things that I want to do? And and maybe they are. Mm-hmm. Okay, Maybe I'm in a place where my relationship fits my goal, and my other goals is totally in alignment. And many people, when they, you know, they study for a profession, uh, they can... Put everything else on hold and say, I will concentrate on that. I don't need to do other things at the moment. And then that works. But mm-hmm. juggling goals is probably the curse of our modern lives and, right. and something that we should really be able to do better.
1: We often take on too much at one time. And I think probably seems to me one of the most important aspects of motivation is deciding what not to do to free up space for what you should be doing or you know, really want to do, I guess.
2: My students and I, we often refer to this as the problem with buffets. So, you know, when you go to a buffet, you often don't like the meal. <laughs> and <laughs> the reason you don't like the meal is because you just put too many things on your plate and they don't go well together, right? right. It's really just not the right combination. But you're in front of a buffet, how can you say no to anything there? So, maybe think about your goals as a smart meal. Okay, you will enjoy it more if you have few of them and if they actually fit with each other than if you just say to everything, bring it on.
1: I think it's fascinating that that metaphor is, I agree, life is a buffet, like it's just an enormous, you know, cornucopia of opportunity, but not everyone experiences it that way. And so I think that again, back to this idea of motivation, if someone doesn't have an abundance view and is actually more of a scarcity view, then how do we get them to move toward you know the cornucopia, but making good decisions within that kind of new mindset.
2: Uh, one thing that I suggest in the book is to draw your goal system, and your goal system has your main goals in life at the top, okay. And it, uh, for most people, involves something about their health, mm-hmm. okay, something about their social connections, something about their career development, okay. So. I don't know you very well yet. Maybe for you, it would be your career, uh, your sports activities, the connection uh, to people in your audience. And then for each of them, define the sub roles that serve them. Mm -hmm. And then go down as much as you can. You know, eventually it might be just too complicated to comprehend, but try to go at least two levels. Like, these are my main goals in life. These are the main ways in which I pursue them. These are the main means in which I pursue the sub-goals that then pursue my superordinate goals. And once you create this pyramid-like of shape, try to think about the connections. Try to think about which activities or means allow you to achieve more than one goal. Mm -hmm. Maybe uh, you can find a job that also satisfies your desire for personal connection because you work with people that you want to be with. Maybe you uh, walk to the office or bike as a means of exercising and you get Mm -hmm. your workout by doing something that also serves your your work. Maybe you uh, start jogging because it's a cheap way of getting exercise and serve your financial and uh, your um, exercising goals. These multi final means they are useful. okay. They allow you to uh, achieve more things. Okay? I, I refer mm-hmm. to this as feeding two birds with one scone. Uh, so. <laughs> We're
1: like a habit stacking. Can we differentiate a goal that is like an achievement goal versus a habit process goal and when we might use one over the other?
2: Yes. Habits are the potential goals that we pursue without paying much attention. It's kind of automatic. Okay? It's like what you do when uh, you don't need to think. You don't need to analyze. You don't need to pay much attention to it. Usually, we develop these habits because they serve goals at one point. Okay, So mm-hmm. many of our habits are useful. You might have the habit of waking up every day at 7 a.m. It is a useful habit during the week. Maybe on the weekend, it's less useful, but you still wake up at that time because you have this habit. Maybe you have uh, the habit of eating while uh, watching TV at one point that was a great combination for you at this point it's not really a great habit you you mm-hmm. would like to change this goals are the things that at this point we hope will become habit at one point <laughs> so we mm-hmm. we still need to work on this it doesn't happen by itself but maybe if we develop a way of doing it that fits with us that feels good then eventually it will become less of something that I need to get myself to do and more of a something that kinds of happen. Many times, many goals will be somewhat habitual, but never white. Exercising is a great one. Most people say that they can exercise out of habit. In case, I usually exercise maybe every morning or every evening, but it's too easy to uh stop exercising. It's too easy to let go of the habit. So this is the Mm -hmm. kind of a habit that I constantly need to work on to bring back to my life, to make sure that this is a goal that I'm pursuing. Mm. Half of the new year, maybe half of the new year's resolutions, maybe a bit more than half are about exercising and and health behaviors. So Mm -hmm. still working on it.
1: (laughs) The other thing that I've often kind of thought about in relation to goals and how I set them for myself is this notion of a a goal that's going to help me become a type of person versus a goal that helps me do a certain thing. So being goal versus doing goal. And I like the idea of, let's say my being goal is to be the most ideal version of myself possible, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Then the habits that I develop are what support that goal. And the day in and day out doing of those habits lead me ever closer and closer to that ideal version of myself. For some people, it's just not concrete enough, even though it works for me because I have a strong discipline for the habituation. I think that that's kind of my point here is that do we work on the habituation and the discipline first or do we, you know, do we work on the goal itself? Do they have to exist together or can we like just chunk it down into the habits and move toward the potentiality of a bigger target or bigger goal?
2: Well, you you brought identity into the mix. And identity is important, okay? Many of the things that we do, many of the goals that we choose are because it is part of who I am. When uh, the goal is related to who I am, people are much more likely to persist. And so we find in our studies that people tend to think of some actions as more revealing of who they are okay and Mm -hmm. in particular beginning and end actions tend to resonate more with my identity so Mm -hmm. i tend to start something thinking about who i am and how much it fits with it and end something thinking this way in the middle interesting it's where we are we sometimes hide from ourselves so this is for identity and then how much we can count on our habits everything that we uh, do well No, we all do certain things well without paying much attention to it. Well, this is a habit and this might be a good habit. Mm -hmm. To the extent that we all want to improve, and I believe that we all want to improve, then there are certain things that are not quite habitual to us that Mm -hmm. we need to work on. Mm -hmm. In the situation that we are going to create for ourselves, they will become more habitual and we will be a better version of ourselves.
1: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense what is the role of you know others in in effective achievement or getting things done
2: this is my uh, uh, last fourth element in my book the support of others we rarely do anything great by ourselves mm-hmm. and so if you want to achieve something big you need to do it with others and that could be uh, starting a family with one person building a company in with a few people on my team, or things that we do as as a state, or as a city, or as a nation, we are doing big things together. Okay, we need a group, and a lot of the research is looking how to help people when they work with other people do it well. Okay, so that mm-hmm. we don't procrastinate because other people can pick up the slack. Mm-hmm. We divide the labor in a way that makes sense. Okay? That the you know, when You walk, I rest, and then when you stop, I step in and walk. So this is one way to think about the support of others, how we do things with other people. Then the other way is how others influence our goals, what kind of role models actually work. Uh, One thing that I can mention, that I would like to mention, is that role models that are effective are usually people that want you to do well, Mm -hmm. as opposed to overachievers. (laughs) Overachievers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Seeing a successful athlete on TV is not going to uh, get me to the gym. The fact that my husband cares a lot about me exercising that is motivating me to exercise.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like the difference between a role model and a good coach.
2: Exactly.
1: Yeah. Or a
2: mentor. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Many parents encourage their children to do well in their career, to do well in their studies, even though the parent has very uh, slight clue about what is it that their child is even doing, okay? But they they want this person to be successful and knowing that there are people out there that want you to succeed Mm -hmm. is motivating. A coach does even more than that, of course.
1: Do you have any advice for someone who maybe has either an individual or a group in their life that doesn't have their best interests? for the achievement of their goal? Because I I get that question a lot. Like there's someone in my organization who's very toxic or there's, you know, my parents don't support me or my husband or wife don't support me. And so it's a really tricky situation, especially if that person is, you know, firmly embedded in someone's life.
2: I get this question too. And I totally understand the people that bring this question to you because how can you do anything when the people around you uh, look at you and say, oh, that's foolish? right okay uh, how can you save when you're in a family where no one is on board with that goal like okay. how can you uh, excel in uh, your uh, new startup when the people around you think that you have no chance and and so i often give the advice of finding the person that believes in you. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can't divorce your parents. So maybe there will be people there that don't believe in you, uh,
1: but who believes in you? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Find someone who believes in you. It would be painful to divorce your parents. I've heard of it happening though. Oh my gosh.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I don't think that you can do it legally. So you're kind of stuck (laughs) in that relationship. You move somewhere, okay? And you connect to people who understand right. your your pursuit. You can say, oh, this is a, a vision uh, worth having. That's right. Uh, being in a place where there, there is no one, it's easy to feel that you've gone insane. Right. You're doing something that no one else can understand. And so we often start with, I have this idea. No one here might pursue this idea with me or understand this idea. But then I need to find the people that, are either going to do it with me or appreciate what I'm doing? Right. The idea of doing anything without social support is naive.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think the support is the main thing. It's difficult to do these things alone. This podcast will be coming out, you know, right around the new year or into the new year. So it's a perfect time for people to read, get it done. What do you have to say to someone who's embarking on? New Year's resolutions and knowing that most resolutions fall by the wayside within, you know, three to three weeks.
2: Yeah, we we collected a lot of data about New Year's resolutions. We, we like New Year's resolutions because it's January 1st and people are thinking about what do they want to achieve this year. And I mentioned that about half of the people are thinking about health-related resolutions than we have. About 20% or so that are thinking about financial type of resolutions. So, you know, getting out of debt, starting to to save money. And then we have all these like idiosyncratic resolutions that the people have. When we follow with the people that set these resolutions, we find that many people drop the resolutions sometimes throughout the year. In a recent sample where we looked at 2,000 people who set resolutions in January. By the following November, only 25% of them told us that they are still pursuing their resolutions. So I don't know if it's good or bad news, but it's hard. Mm -hmm. We found that uh, predicts adherence is uh, what we refer to as intrinsic motivation, is the feeling that you like what you do, that it feels good at the moment, that when you do this, you feel like you're achieving your goals. It's coming from within a bad resolution is a resolution that you say i will do it now because it will be good for me in a year or in two mm-hmm. or later in my life okay mm-hmm. a great resolution a resolution that you might still be pursuing in november is the one where you say when i do it i feel good i feel like i'm i'm doing the right thing mm-hmm. i enjoy what i do it is who i am and when setting resolutions that would be my advice okay think about something that you will feel good while you're doing it it might be hard okay you might sweat okay you you might feel like you have to think really hard but at the moment you will feel like you're achieving it like you are intrinsically motivated to do it then you have a good chance to be in there the quarter of the people that are still sticking to the resolutions uh, many months later
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense to reinforce that intrinsic motivation that's the holy grail isn't it for goals?
2: Yeah, it's interesting to note that when uh, you look at the people who said that the resolutions are very important for them, versus people who said that it's important but not that much, there's no difference in how much they follow through. Huh. I did not expect it. I was surprised. Okay, that those who say that something is more important are not those that are doing it more. Those who say that they are intrinsically motivated, that they enjoy it at the moment, that they feel good about doing it, uh more likely to persist than those who say that, no, I don't necessarily enjoy it at the moment, but it's good for me mm-hmm. in the long run.
1: Yeah. Ideally, especially when it comes to something like exercise and eating and eating less, we know it's good for us. And then we develop the experience of it feeling good also, which, you know, for exercise takes a little bit of time, but eventually, you know, it, you feel good while you're doing it, even though there's a little bit of pain and sweat and you know, it's good for you. Yeah. And so you get that double reinforcement.
2: Of course, I mean, like, right? Like, no one is setting a New Year resolution to eat more ice cream, right? So, right, yeah. <laughs> we start with that—the thought of, okay, what would be good for me a year from now? Okay, where am I heading? Right. But then, if the way is unpleasant, there is really no way.
1: Yeah, in a sense, we have to develop the delayed gratification to feel the positive effects of not eating as much ice cream, which could take you know a month or two to start to to play out in terms of your physical body and. Your metrics, so to speak. People are so kind of lost with all the messaging that they're getting today, you know, with negativity or the consumerism or, you know, the perfectionism that they're seeing on social media. So they just need good guidance and you break it down in a very simple way. So I think it's going to help a lot of people. So good job and thank you very much. Where can people learn? So do you have a website for the book launch or any pre launch type things going on?
2: Yes. I hope that people will check out my website, which is basically my name,
1: ayeletfishback.com. A Y E L E T Fishback, F I S H B A C H dot com. So that's where the book information is? Yes. Awesome. Well, Dr. Fishback, this has been really, really interesting and uh, rewarding conversation for me. I hope it's been worthy on your end as well. I think uh, a lot of people are very fascinated with this idea of motivation and goals and habits. And you just can't get enough of it because it's so endemic to who we are as human beings and our motivations and our behaviors and our beliefs and you know, habituation from very young age, it all kind of comes into play. And so to parse through that and to make better decisions about who we are and where we want to go in our life is really, really important. And it's a lifelong process, isn't it? We just can only get better and better at it. I don't think there's any there, there, right? There's no perfect goal setter out there that I'm aware of.
2: I completely agree. It's a a lifelong journey, and uh, I hope to be part of people's journey uh, next year.
1: Yeah. Well, you will be. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you.
1: Likewise. Well, that was fascinating. Thanks so much, Dr. Fishbach, In this episode, what I found fascinating was just this discussion about willpower versus goal setting. Or versus motivation, how a self concept plays out in being versus doing goals, habituation, you know, how do we use others or or get the support of others to really maintain positive motivation and focusing on not only why the goal is good for us, but feeling good while we're achieving aspects of a goal or habituating ourselves toward a goal. It's a fascinating conversation. You can purchase her book by going to www.aliatfishbach.com. That's A-Y-E-L-E-T Fishbach, F-I-S-H-B-A-C-H dot com. Show notes and transcripts are on our site, markdivine.com. And there's a video of the episode on our YouTube channel, markdivine.com slash YouTube. I'm at markdivine on Twitter and at realmarkdivine on Instagram and Facebook. Please hit me up if you have a comment or a question. I've got a new newsletter coming out, Divine Inspiration, in January. So if you'd like to be on the subscriber list, go to markdivine.com to sign up and subscribe. And a special shout out to my team, Jason Sanderson, Jeff Haskell, Michelle Zarnick and Amy Jorkowitz, who all produced this amazing podcast. I absolutely love the reviews we get for our show, so please continue to share and rate the show if you haven't done so already. Well, as you know, the world is changing exponentially, and the way you perceive it is often divided and fractious and negative, and we're facing numerous complex, global situations. This evolving pandemic, climate change, the effect of exponential technology on our economy, widespread depression, suicide, anxiety, and even apathy. It's crucial now that we learn to develop an unbeatable mind, learn to habituate excellence, and develop the mindset that can drive us to become a more compassionate culture with more courageous actions. We need to build teams who thrive on creativity and positivity. It's the only way we're going to tackle these issues. But it all starts with us. We cultivate these qualities in ourselves. We bring them to our families and teams. We become a beacon of light for others in the world. Thanks for joining me on the Mark Divine Show. See you next time. Huiyah. Divine out.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to this spotlight on this podcast that we are so excited about. We hope it supports you and gives you inspiration and even more access to growth in your day-to-day life. In the meantime, we will see you next week for a regularly scheduled U-Turn podcast episode. Can't wait to see you there. Thanks again.